We were in James chapter 5, verse 9. It says, remember this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you not be, may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And uh, if you want the, the full message, you can go online, download it. Uh, but just for a brief review, James was talking about the fact that we need to be patient in our sufferings. Often we grumble and complain. And that he was talking about establishing our hearts. We have to anchor our hearts uh, in our faith in Christ. And the reason why is he'll soon return. And we, uh, the, in this process of not grumbling and complaining, James pointed out the prophets in Job, right? As examples for us to follow. And we walked through both of those illustrations. said they weren't always the most popular ones. And that in that, then we have to be steadfast. And steadfast is the ability to hang in there and keep moving forward, even though things are really tough. And uh, we can grow in that. And the ultimate conclusion is that God is compassionate, that He's merciful, and that He will help us. That's what James says. And so again, he kind of doubles over. We're to develop steadfastness and perseverance. So this morning we're going to continue in James, and we're going to cover one verse this morning. All right? And uh, although it's one verse, the topic of this verse is a huge one. And it's in James. It's James 5, verse 12. And it says this, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We're going to take a look at this this morning and walk through it. but, you know, sometimes we come to church and we're, many times if you're an adult, you're busy. You're responsible. You've got stuff and you're just chugging through doing all that. And, you know, like the songs we sang this morning, I am who he says I am. And he says I'm a child of God. Right? It's easy to forget that. Let's remember that we're his, that he chose us, that we're not forsaken this morning. Uh, and as we walk through this topic, may his grace be available as well. So let's pray. Father, my friends and I are here this morning because we want to know you better. We want to be more like you. We want to represent you better. And we want to give you honor. We don't always do that perfectly. And this one particular area is an area where we stumble again. James pegs it really well. But may it be an encouragement. And may you help us think through it analytically and uh, to weigh the, the matter well before you in your spirit this morning. So we give that to you with great hope and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so the giving and taking of oaths. So this morning we're mostly on that. We're not going to be talking about swearing where I take the name of the Lord, the, my God, in vain, right? That If you want to go back to the Ten Commandments, Third Commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We're, we're not going to cover that whole part, but we are going to cover the other half of the coin, which is... Uh, the taking or swearing of oaths. Uh, the giving and taking of oaths has a long and colorful history in our world, right? Every culture, every generation, uh, we're very familiar with these. Uh, see if you recognize some of these, right? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help me God. Where do we say that? In court. And what do we do with our hand? Lay it on a Bible, right? And the idea there is that we are committed to telling the truth and not perjuring ourselves before God. 
Uh, we just had a wedding this April, so I grabbed this one because it's the latest one. I, Micah, take you, Kayla, to be my lawfully wedded wife. Have you, any of you re- ever repeated those vows? Right? That's a pretty formal vow. Often, when I'm doing a wedding, I will tell a couple, there's two sets of vows, and they go, why is there two? Are we just bored or... You know, we got to fill up some time or what? And go, no, when I walked through, I said, when you say I do, you're not saying I do to each other. And you're not even saying I do to me, even though that's true for both. You're really saying I do to God. So what the deal is, is you promise God first, then you promise each other. And often I'll get a stunned look from young couples because it has never occurred to them that they have to make a promise to God first before they make a promise to each other. And they go, wow, that's really heavy. And I go, yeah, it is. Do we have to do that? Yes. You get to do that. This is what you're entering into. So it really helps walk through the power of that. Uh, this next one. Recognize this one? I blank, uh, let's say Ben Lamb, who just did this. Do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I, bear, I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. A number of you have taken that oath. Number of you have served in the military and you have said those words and those words anchored you in that time of service. Was that optional? Once you signed and said those words, they said, well, can I rethink that? Did they care about you rethinking it? Walt's laughing over there. <laughs> no, they, right? They expected you to hold to that oath. Uh, and then this one, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will do to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now these are what we call formal vows or oaths or covenants. And these, um, these kind of covenants are not the thing that James is talking about. All right, we'll take a look at that this morning. But the commentaries are helpful in delineating what, uh, what they're actually talking about is not these formal vows or oaths, what we've just looked at, but they point out that, uh, because they point out even God makes oaths and vows. Uh, let's look at some examples of some oaths that God has made, right? You're familiar with all of these. He made oaths to Abraham. Matter of fact, if you think about his oath to Abraham, it is outside of Jesus himself, the most stunning oath that was ever uttered in the history of the world. We've never gotten over Abraham. You realize that? That Christianity and Judaism and Muslim all claim Abraham as their father. This one guy, Abraham, uh, all of history pivots off of. And as a matter of fact, the Messiah, Jesus, comes out of his lineage and line. And that was all promised and covenanted. Uh, God gave an oath to Abraham. God also gave an oath to his son Isaac. Yahweh, uh, if you read Genesis, uh, is called the fear of Isaac. Right? which tells you something about Isaac. He had a proper understanding of who God was and how to relate to him. It's called the fear of Isaac. But God made and remade those promises to Isaac as well. And then God also did it for his son Jacob. Right? 
And Jacob wasn't always the most straight up guy on the planet, which kind of gives you encouragement that if God could anchor Jacob with oaths and promises, that there's some hope for us, right? But he talked to Jacob. And remember, he said, this is Bethel, the ladder of God coming between heaven. And God spoke to Jacob and, and promised his covenants to him. Some other ones that you're familiar with, obviously King David, right? God promised him the kingdom and that he would always have a ruler on his throne. And then Israel as a nation. You can't read the Old Testament without, as a matter of fact, the New Testament, without all the promises and covenants that God has made um, with Israel. So when we're talking about this, let's look at this verse again now. It says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And this idea here is of saying something over and above that brings me into condemnation or brings me into ill repute or brings something evil out of the situation. Now, we have to note that this this sounds really familiar, right? And again, James has taken his inspiration from his brother. Jesus laid out very clearly uh, this idea on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at how Jesus said it. He said this, And again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, So he's talking about the Old Testament. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. If you go in the Old Testament, it's very clear. If you've made a vow, it's very important that you carry out that vow to the Lord and you not break it. It said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I can't even do that. Let what you say simply be yes or no, and anything more than this comes from evil. So what's Jesus talking about? What's James talking about? They're talking about limiting our expression when we make oaths or when we are making promises because as humans we tend to almost always oversell. Right? We almost always overpromise. We overpromise and we underdeliver. And that is what James and Jesus are talking about. It was a problem uh, in the church. It was injunctive written because of a practice that was already occurring. Right? Uh, Christians are famous for promising more things than they can actually deliver. And if you listen to non-believers out there, oh yeah, you know, Christians, yeah. They talk a good show. And, and we get ourselves in trouble by this. Jesus and James are not so much against formal vows or oaths, such as those that occur in a court of law, but rather everyday oaths and swearings. I want you to think in that category. What goes on every day that take place in the heat and battle of everyday life? This is talking about when we're under pressure. This is talking about when it's piling up on us. This is talking about when we get overexcited. This is talking about when we are uh, talking about more than what actually really happened. Uh, Here, let me give you some examples. All right, here's some common ways. uh, See if you recognize any of these. Here's some common ways of making oaths. First one, I swear I didn't do it. When someone says that, what do you know? They did it, right? Right? Watch any sports athletes or I didn't know stuff was in there. 
right? I swear I didn't do it. What? Guilty, right? How about this one? I swear on a stack of Bibles I'm telling you the truth. You ever heard someone say that? Right? Stack of Bibles, right? Anytime somebody says that, you immediately question them, right? Why would you have to emphasize it that hard? How about, how about this one? This one happened, by the way, where does a lot of this happen? In home, okay, right? You recognize this one? I swear, if you don't clean up your room. Right? I've always taught parents, don't make threats you can't back up. Okay? If you can't back it up, don't make it because they will find out. Or this is another variation of this one. I promise you before God, I will... Right? Of course, none of you would be guilty of these, but other people have, right? How about this one? If you're Irish, I promise you on my mother's grave. <laughs> my dad's Belgian, my mother's Irish, and I grew up with that. I promise you on my mother's grave, which they were usually drunk when they said that. Or how about this one? By God, you had better... Right? That one's actually a threat. Or how about this one? With Jesus as my witness, I... Right? In other words, it's common. These were just a couple. It didn't take me long to come up with these. When I started thinking, I started laughing just like you did because I started realizing how often you hear them. John Templin brought one. We're talking in the prayer. Every morning we meet at 8 to pray before the services, a group of us and... By the way, you'd be invited to join us on that. It's a great time. Uh, makes the morning work for me. And, uh, but he was saying, boy, one that just drives me. I brought this up and he goes, oh, there's one that's just killing me. And he says, I, everybody's saying, oh, my God, for everything, right? And if you really, I told him, you know where that's coming off of is all these reality shows. And everybody's saying, oh, my God. Like, and they're just flinging it out there like it's not a big thing. But that is not something we should be saying. Right? It's a, it's, oh my God is a mix between making an oath and actually taking God's name in vain. And so this is a problem. Now, okay, so what's the problem with this? Why, why is James getting hyped on this? Why is Jesus getting hyped on this? Why is Steve getting hyped on this? Let's look at the problem with making oaths. Just take some things from Scripture, okay? So look at this illustration in Acts. This is the story of Paul. He is in the Roman court. They uh, are trying to kill him. And so the group of men come together and says, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and they bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, what's the problem with that oath? Well, the problem with that oath is Paul's nephew heard them make that, those vows, and he ran to Paul. Paul told him to go talk to the captain of the guard. He talked to the captain of the guard. Captain of the guard realized it, and then he shipped Paul off out under armed escort uh, up to Caesarea Philippi so that they couldn't kill him. Now, do you think all those men who actually made that plot starved to death? No, Right? What did they, well, we would have, but, you know, uh, he carted him off. It's not fair. That's what we often say. Right? But that wasn't the oath. The oath was, we will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. 
So it tells you that we have a problem sticking to stuff because often we can't see or think through the consequences of the statements we're making. Uh, let me give you the one that stands out to me the most in the Bible. This is, uh, and I'm just going to put it up here, is Jeremiah's encounter with Os. Right? If you've got your Bible, look at Jeremiah 42 and 43. Uh, it's way too long to uh, put out, but give you the background of the story. Jerusalem is obliterated. Nebuchadnezzar has flattened it. It is toast. There's just a little remnant left. Jer- uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts Gelediah in charge. Then he's assassinated. Now they're freaked out. And they're thinking of escaping and running to Egypt. And they come to Jeremiah and they say, please, would you pray for us as a remnant? And here's how the request is worded. It says, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us. Interesting in that they don't say to the Lord our God. They say to the Lord your God, to Jeremiah. The interesting little flip there. For all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. And Jeremiah prophet said to him, I've heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. And then they said this to Jeremiah. Now listen to this. Here's the key part. May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom you are sending you, to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now that sounds pretty solid, right? Pretty committed. You go, you pray, you come back, tell us, and whatever you tell us, we'll do. Whether it's good or bad, we'll, we'll do it. Now you would think, and, and then Jeremiah says, now know this. If I go, and it goes on further in the chapter, if I go and I pray and I do this, and, and you obey, this is how it'll go for you, and if you don't obey, then this is how it's going to go for you. Right? He laid out both sides for him. So Jeremiah goes away, he prays, then you come back in chapter 43, And it says this, When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God with which the Lord their God had sent to him, and basically what he had said to them is, here's the word from the Lord. God says, do not go down to Egypt. Stay here. I will protect you. I will bless you. I will will, uh, sustain you. It says, when Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord their God, in which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshaniah, and Johan the son of Kariah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, and there's an interesting word, they're insolent. Right? Said to him, you are telling a lie. Now these are the same people that just sent him and said, we will do whatever you tell us to do. But what was the deal? They made that oath. But somehow back there, they had some idea of what God was going to say and they were hoping God would tell them, yes, please go to Egypt because that you won't have to be scared anymore. And that's what they really wanted as an answer. And when they didn't get that answer, they accused Jeremiah of lying. He says, you are telling a lie. The Lord your God did not. Now, remember when they went to Jeremiah and said, the Lord your God? Now they say, the Lord our God. Fascinating, isn't it? 
all of a sudden he's their God. Did not send you to say, do not go down to Egypt and live there. But Barak, the son of Neriah, has, Barak was uh, Jeremiah's secretary, recorder, has set, us against, has set you against us to deliver us into the hands of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. That just shows you how fast we can flip. Don't think they're an exception to that. You ever promise something and then back right out of it? Right? Another one. Another problem with uh, making oaths. Let me get to the next one. Uh, King Saul. They were in a huge battle with the Philistines. The men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I'm avenged of my enemies. Now, this is just plain bad battle strategy. Right? They are exhausting an enormous amount of energy. They are um, tired, they're fatigued, and normally you have some kind of pack with you that you can pull either some barley or oats or something out and you can chew on it and it'll give you energy. Often if they went in the woods, they found honey, they would dip their stick and eat that and it would really strengthen them and brighten them up. And, uh, and, but Saul rashly says this and it says, so then none of the people tasted food except one person. And who is that? His son, Jonathan, right? who hadn't heard his father's oath, and he saw honey, and when he took it, his eyes brightened. And then Saul was caught in the predicament of having to kill his own son who brought about the victory that day. So sometimes we can make things... You ever made a promise or oath like that and then it messed your family up? Because you hadn't been able to think through the consequences? And then there's another one that's even more tragic than this one, Jephthah's tragic vow. This is in the book of Judges. Jephthah is up against tremendous odds. He is uh, basically a bastard child. And they come back to him. They, they kick him out and then they come back and we say, we need you to be our leader. And so he starts to lead and he, he prays to God and he says, he made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I'll offer it up for the Lord as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over the Ammonites to fight against them and the Lord gave them into the hand. And if you read the story, he comes back. There's a great celebration. Everybody's can't believe the victory the Lord pulled off. And who comes dancing through the front door but his only daughter? I wanted to freeze that moment for a second. Put yourself in that place. What would the heart of a father when he suddenly recognizes what his own vow to God has cost him? And that's why Jesus and James are talking about this. There's one more that we have to deal with. There's a number of them, but there's one more I think is critical in this line of thinking. And that's... um, Peter's denial of Jesus. Uh, We don't often think about this. I've brought it up several times, but it has always struck me um, because the the, uh, account goes like this. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you also were a Jesus of Galilee, she she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Then he went out to the gateway and another servant girl said, I saw and said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, then he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. You're Galilean for Pete's sakes. No pun intended. Did you get that? No? Okay. It's early. You'll get it on the way home. (laughs) Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know him. Can you see the leverage and pressure? Under pressure, we tend to make oaths or swear in ways that otherwise we wouldn't and cause tremendous problems. Uh, this really blew Peter up. Matter of fact, it took a tremendous effort on Jesus' part to re-restore Peter. All right, so what are James and Jesus trying to counteract here? Right? I, I did all of that just to get you thinking that way because I found it hard to get all those thoughts pulled together this week about oaths and, and swearing and uh, you know I swear in the Lord's name and all this stuff that I won't or haven't or... And I was trying to get my own head around it. What is the issue here? What, what are they counteracting? And there's three big things that they are trying to, that they're trying to counter. The first one is this. And, and, and to use this, I'm going to use the book of James and what we've already learned. The first one is this, acting in pride. You know, if you think about it, when we make oaths or things like that, often uh, we're blustering and we are acting out in pride, Right? And remember what James said in chapter 4? God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What we've said about this is that this is an actual universal principle. It applies to every person. It applies to every marriage. It applies to every family. It applies to every community. It applies to every state. It applies to every country. It applies to every leader. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. What are James and Jesus trying to course correct within the Christian family? This is not outsiders. This is insiders. Are we totally transformed just because we got saved and have the Holy Spirit? No, there's this little process called sanctification that many of us really underestimated, I for one. I thought I'd have it down in six months. Shows you where I was at. Okay, and, and one of the things that's deeply embedded, one of the original sins that comes from, and you pick it up when it talks about Satan, is the issue of pride. The issue of inner pride. We have it in so many different ways, on so many different levels, and so many different expressions, it's hard to nail it down. But one of the ways it shows up or it comes up is when we uh, make affirmations, oaths, or swear about things that we can't back up. And Jesus and James are both saying, hey, why don't you just say yes or no? It would be a whole lot better than over-amping and making oaths that now you're bound by because you said them in the name of the Lord. The second one, so acting in pride, right? Does that make sense from James, what we've covered so far, right? That resonate. The second one is acting in anger. James chapter 1, remember, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Therefore, we should be 
slow to speak, quick to listen, and... Oh, I got that backwards. Slow to speak, slow to get angry, and quick to listen. Right? Are we slow to anger? Come on. Are we slow to anger? How long does it take to light us up? To get us bent? To get us a... Doesn't take much, right? We're Americans. We'll let you know. You irritate me, and I want you to know about it. It does not take long. And for a lot of us, that's our undoing. We have never understood the kingdom issue of authority. We've never understood it to the level and depth it is. And so there's always an inner rage inside. There's an inner barking. There's an inner causticness that just keeps going that we go, well, just deal with it. That's me. And the Bible goes, no, that's not you. That's your sin nature and that's got to die. And you better agree with that because if you don't, the destruction is not going to be on the Lord's end. It's going to be on our end. How much damage do you think Christian anger has done in Christian homes? In Christian marriages? I mean, just you guys know, you're educated people, you've been around, you've watched a lot. How much damage do you think it's done? How much damage do you think anger has done within Christian churches? Do you ever see somebody let it loose in a church? Why do people not want to go to business meetings of churches? Where do the worst fights break out? Right? It's a big problem. And James is saying, and Jesus by also virtue, is saying, don't compound it by then swearing and making oaths on top of it. It just exacerbates the problem and makes it worse than it even is. And then the third one is this one. Acting rashly. Any of you ever acted rashly? Way too quick to respond to that, Steve. <laughs> Ecclesiastes says this, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your, heart be, or let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. What does Solomon know? What does Solomon know there? That's an autobiographical comment, by the way. Do you realize that? That's an autobiographical comment of Solomon about himself. He got on his high horse. He got pretty big britches. He got pretty accomplished. He got pretty uh, happy with himself. And in the end, if you read that and then you read Ecclesiastes, he realized he acted like a fool. Why? Because he was rash or hasty with his words. And this is we're talking about the wisest man in the world. Another word for this would be acting impetuously. Any of you just act impetuously? Right? Just a, we call it a knee-jerk reaction in case you don't know what that word means. Right? <laughs> Any of you just, right? whatever, angry, upset, lashing out, punitive, vengeful. Usually we call it like this. I don't know, officer. All I saw was red. I don't really remember what I said in the heat of the moment. 
You ever see that reported across the news? I can't remember. When we're agitated and stirred up, we can always be counted on to speak wisely. Not. Thanks for playing. Here's the truth. We sin very badly. Why are we laughing and giggling? Because we can all immediately identify places where we or the person next to us have blown it. And we're hoping God speaks to them this morning about that. (laughs) We'll even go to the extreme extent of calling God to curse someone else. You know, when someone says, okay, God damn it, right? What are they saying? I want you, God, to agree with my assessment of that person and I want you to send that person to hell and damn them. That's what we're saying. That's why we use it. Do Christians ever say that? That's using God for our own ends and purposes. Or we will swear and give oaths, extending a control we don't have professing a power we don't have and implying a future that we cannot guarantee. Remember what did James say? You, you, you who are going off to the city and you're, you're going to make all these plans and make a province, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. How can you promise any of that? And it's not against planning. It's not, remember we said that's not against those things. God is saying, hey, there should be some understanding here of who's in control and who's not in control. And we don't get it because we really think we're in control. The truth is what Scripture tells us is control is an illusion. We don't really believe that. So theologically in our head, we're Christian, but practically in our behavior, we're atheists. We're functioning atheists because we don't actually carry that out. We act like we're in control. So Jesus and James said this, Hey, why not lessen the damage? Why don't you just let your yes be yes and your no be no? Just simplify it a little bit. And then trust God. Do you notice behind here what's behind this whole thing is the issue of trusting God? Right? When we tend to make oaths or those kind of things or swear God, we often are trying to manipulate God to get him to do what I want him to do. Uh, By the way, how well does that work? Any of us tried that? How well does that work? Yeah, it doesn't, right? Crash and burn. Doesn't work at all. James and Jesus are talking about what? Be humble. If God allows, we'll go and do that. Yes, I think I can do that. No, I don't think I can do that. It creates a lot less of, of a debris field. Right? Why was James on this? Because he's talking to a Christian community that they're doing this and it's causing a debris field. Right? Now I want to suggest that it causes the same debris field today. There's a reason there's a quietness in the room. There's a hauntingness to this. We're guilty of this. Right? We struggle with this. I do, you do. It's hard because we get amped up, we get agitated, we get jacked up, and then we start pontificating on things that really we'd be a whole lot better if we, like James said, we were slow to speak. 
and slow to get angry. But we're quick to speak and we're, well, we're quick to get angry and we're quick to speak and then we overamp and overextend by making oaths and swearing about things that we can't back up and later look back and go, ah, oh, can't do that. James was known as an incredibly holy guy, but I'll bet you back in the day when he was Jesus' brother, he probably had a very good reason for inserting that verse in the text. Do you remember the time when it was the festival and Jesus was going to go? They said, hey, if you're the big Messiah dude, why don't you go and show yourself in the temple? Which is a way of calling out an oath, right? Jesus said, no, your time is any time. My time hasn't come yet. And it says they went and uh, and then later Jesus went secretly. You think that stuck in James's mind as he got older and became the head of the church? I think it did. So I'm thinking, why not learn from an older brother in the Lord something that he saw as a real key lesson because I think it's key for us as well. All right, let's pray. Father, that's a tough word. It's a good word. It is a grounded word. The only one who is reliable in making oaths is really you. Thank you for being a covenant-keeping God. Thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for keeping your promises and your oaths and your covenants. We have not been as faithful in that. And we know it. You can feel it in the room, Lord. We sense it. Would you help us just to be, as James says, let our yes be yes and our no, no, and not go beyond that because when we get beyond that, it ends up being evil. It ends up tripping us up and we end up with a spirit, as James said, of condemnation. And we feel condemned before you because we failed. We've broken covenant. We've broken our promises and our oaths. Help us to be people of our word, but also people of your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen.